we have, um, I don't know if it's the better half or the other half of Andy. You can let Paul and Andy discuss that. But, um, but uh, Tasha and I have the privilege of getting to know this couple over the last several years. And uh, man, we have just been blessed by their friendship and blessed by their ministry. And they are um, just some of the greatest um, man and woman of God that Tosh and I get to hang out with. We love them, love their heart. And uh, we are privileged to have them at our church this weekend. Like I said, Andy did an incredible job on Friday night. And I know you're going to be blessed by Paul today. Would you, this is, uh, would you welcome the guys with the still, the, hey, how many you guys, before I even announce him, how many you guys remember Hillsong? You know Hillsong Church? Well, this guy, this is where he got his start. This was his church. He was on staff there. I'm pretty sure he even wrote some songs that you guys, that we have probably sang as a church. And so uh, go, go and Google that, and uh, you can see him when he didn't have some gray in the beard and things like that, but, uh, but uh, he still has the cool Australian accent. Will you welcome to stage Paul Andrew? Love you, man. Love you. Well, good morning. How is everybody? You doing all right this morning? Well, call me biased, but I love your pastors. Does anybody else love Pastor Chad, Pastor Tasha? These are just some world-class human beings um, that we are privileged to call friends. And uh, we just had the best time this weekend. We, uh, we were here for Embrace on Friday night, which was pretty amazing. How many of the ladies just were impacted by that? Anybody in here? That was a ton of fun. And by the way, I guess we still got a few of Andy's books. If you were here Friday night, my wife, Andy, he'll be with us in the second service, wrote some amazing books that, uh, in fact, she's just turned in a manuscript for book number four. I won't tell you the title. I'm sure it's top secret. You know, I tell you, but I have to kill you, which would be sad because this is church, right? Um, but she's still got some of these out in the lobby after church. Um, we just had a blast this weekend. I feel like we share so many of the same passions in life for um, serving leaders, for mental health, for the church, for hunting. I went to Disneyland yesterday, Bass Pro. I didn't realize. <laughs> I, I literally was like, I, I, a couple of times I had to like wipe the drool. I was like, where am I now? This is like, like a wonderland. And thankfully we were on a time limit because I just could have got lost there, I think. Um, but that was just amazing. You know, our love for Africa, which is really how we first connected in many ways is through organizations that you guys partner with too and just watching God move across the earth. So can we just give a big round of applause for your amazing pastors? <laughs> Privileged to call you guys friends. Love and believe in what you're doing and it's an honor to be part of it. Um, before I forget, you two. Oh my goodness. All right, I feel like I got a word for you during worship. And um, so this is Proverbs 22 verse 29. The New King James says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will not stand before kings. Sorry, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. The Amplified says, do you see a man? Do you see a person skillful and experienced in their work? They will stand in honor before kings. Amen. I just believe it's a promise for you, actually. Yeah, I believe it's a promise for you. I believe that you've been diligent, another translation says. You've excelled. You've been skillful and experienced. You, uh, even in the secret place, all the more in the secret place, actually. And I believe, in fact, I'm gonna pray it over you. Lord, would you take their diligent work, their skillful experience, their humility, their sacrifice, the price that they paid, Lord, in the unseen that many people, really this side of eternity, none of us will know. 
what they've done, what they've sowed, what they've laid down, what they've walked through with grace and prayer and humility to bring them to this moment for such a time as this. Lord, I just pray that that Word would be a promise for them, that You would in fact entrust them now because of the track record of influence and diligence in the, in the secret, in the unseen, God, now, you know, that you would entrust them in the scene, Lord, in places of influence, places of power. Uh, God, would you entrust them as intercessors, as advisors, trusted advisors to people in places of leadership, not just in this house and in this city, but in the nations, Lord, would you open doors for them to be a kingdom influence for the sake of nations and generations in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a round of applause for these two? Yes, I'm glad. Well, I believe I got a word for you, but I want to show you really quick in case you don't know our family. Uh, I think we had a couple of photos of my family to put up here on the screen. So this is us uh, in New York City. I'll tell you about it in a minute, but we moved uh, from New York City to Charleston, South Carolina, just almost exactly a year ago. So that's the before and after, Brownstone Beach. I look a little more relaxed in this photo here, right? And that's our four amazing kids, Andy there who preached Friday night, our sons, Ezekiel, or Zeke for short, who is about to graduate high school, go off to college. Jesse Freedom, 15. Our one daughter, Finley. Her name means fair-haired warrior. And we gave her the middle name Grace just to balance it out a little bit. But she needs both of those things to be the one sister of the three brothers. Can I get an amen? And then Sam, our only US born. The older three were four, two, and one. When we moved from Sydney, Australia, to New York City to plant a church in Manhattan, as you do. Turned out to be really difficult, who would have thought? Uh, and they've been there through it all. I honour them, they're missionaries, they're church planters. So Sam was born in Brooklyn. I guess, I guess he's the only one that can be president. Um, the other kids are mad about that because they're all about everything being fair. Like you all get a chance at that. Uh, but anyway, this amazing family, I love and honour them. I wanna show you one more photo that'll connect into the message today. And this is the first pastor's retreat, soul care trip I ever went on in 2018. You know, really the only person I knew um, or just had met was the guy there in the bright blue shirt, Greg Surratt, Pastor Greg Surratt of Seacoast. He started ARC. You know, you guys are connected with that. Also Seacoast. And he started hosting these trips for pastors and leaders. And I got an invite to go fly fishing in Montana, 2018. Andy and I at the time were lead pastors, of a church that we'd planted in New York City called Liberty Church. And by the grace of God, we ended up planting multiple times, not just in New York, but in Southern Africa and um, London and different places. And so I got an invite to go on this trip. And I said yes, because he invited me. Now the truth is at the last minute, I think I started to think, is this a good idea? Like fly fishing? I live in Brooklyn. Like there's nothing we're gonna catch out of the East River that I'm gonna eat. Uh, maybe scientists would study why it has three eyes, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what use do I have for this? Or, you know, shooting guns, maybe, depends on the neighbourhood of Brooklyn. But the other stuff, like, why am I going on this trip? And so I go on this amazing trip and we open up around that table and then for some of us, the tears began to flow, things that we were walking through. For others, then it felt like a safe place. Two guys sit around that table. No, there's no schedule, there's no speakers, no big agenda. Two guys let out in their time to share by saying, you know, I've never told anyone else this, but... They felt safe in a place. You know, everyone needs community, amen? Especially leaders. Leaders need community too. And it began this journey that I'm kind of gonna share a little out of today for me because I came home and Andy shared about it Friday night. When I walked in the house, she says, oh, I got my husband back. She said, I just haven't seen you smile 
a life like this in the longest time. And it wasn't like one trip changed my life, but you know, you could have an encounter and sometimes those encounters can kind of sneak up on you because they look like fly fishing, <laughs> right? They look like ordinary everyday life. And then suddenly God is in the midst of it. He began a journey in me because I didn't realize it, but I was running on fumes. And so I kind of want to preach a very pastoral message to you today to give you an opportunity to invite you to reflect on where you are at here today. So the message is simply called, where are you? Where are you? We're gonna start in Genesis, Genesis chapter three, and I'll give you a little bit of context. You know, if you're familiar with scripture, you know that the beginning of the book, the book of Genesis is all about creation. So God speaks and there is, I mean, it's incredible, right? The sea and the sky and animals and stars and you know, all the wonders that God creates. And it's all going well. Then man and woman, unbroken, perfect relationship with God. And then in comes chapter three and Satan comes, tempts them, questions God and what he said to them and, and asks them to eat and suggest they eat from the tree they weren't supposed to. And so sin enters the world, what we call the fall. And it's in this moment that God asks the question we're asking today. The very first question that God ever asked mankind, where are you, is in Genesis 3, 8 to 10. It says, the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's new. Walking with the Lord, not, not new. They've been doing that. But this response is new. They hid because sin has come. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So question, did God lose them? That's terrifying. Like God's like, where are you guys? Like, I know you were here somewhere. Did I put you down in the wrong place? I mean, is this, is, this is scary because there's gonna be a lot more people later when everybody starts having babies, right? And if he can't keep up with the two of them, how's this gonna go, right? I'm being, obviously, I'm being sarcastic here this morning. Is that a right in church for us to have fun? Yeah, we like to do that around here. Um, no, it's not that God couldn't locate them. Here's, here's the thing. He wanted them to locate themselves. When God asks us a question, doesn't know that he doesn't, it's not that He doesn't know the answer. He wants us to ponder our response. Now, Adam's response is very interesting. When he says, where are you? He, he says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So where were they? Well, fear, shame, hiding. A couple verses later, we get blaming. Well, she made me do it and she'd say the serpent made me do it, right? That's where they were. So my question for you this morning is where are you? You personally, where are you this morning? I know you're in Republic. I know you're at Destiny Church. I know, I know that, but where are you for real though? Because the, the incredible thing is that we all sit here in seats and rows here this morning. And in some ways we're all in different places on different journeys. You know, the, the first step in any successful journey is to know where you are. It's important to know where you're going, but you'll never get there unless you're realistic about where you are now, right? Because the journey begins from where you are. If you go to a shopping mall for the first time, you've never been there before. You're looking for a particular store. What's the first thing you do when you walk through those doors? You find the big old map and you're looking for one thing. You are here. 
That's what this message is intended to be for you this morning, to help you ponder, where am I? Where are you? Not, not where do you wanna be, that's good, but that's not what we're talking about. And it's also not where do people think you are? That's a very dangerous place when we live as though we really are where people assume we are especially if we're good at keeping up appearances. Not that anyone ever would do it at this church, but in some churches they say, people do all the praise the Lord, hallelujah, and lift their hands, but really they're a wreck inside, right? Well, hopefully, hopefully we can be honest about where we are this morning because that's where healing begins. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're lonely. Hey, maybe you're flourishing. Awesome. We wanna pull out all the stops and celebrate that, but maybe you're hopeless. Maybe you feel afraid in this season. Well, figuring out where you are is the beginning of walking out from there because God has more for you, amen? He has more. So let me, I'm gonna spend the balance of the time that I have today in a passage that helped me work out where I was just recently. We're gonna be in the book of Isaiah or Isaiah, if you prefer. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's like, can they switch on the subtitles? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> My accent is a mutt. I used to, sorry, Australia all my life, then New York City for 12 years. Now I'm in the South and my kids are texting me y'all in their text. I was like, I don't know who we are anymore. I, it's called no man's land. I sound Australian to Americans and American to Australians. So I'm sorry, I just, just had to get that out of my system. Okay. So I wanna show you a verse that spoke to me. Here's my theory. Um, I'm believing, what's beautiful about the Word of God is it's living, breathing, sharper than a two-edged sword. I can share this and the Holy Spirit can minister you to something I don't even say because it's gonna meet you right where you're at. But I wanna, I wanna show you how this Word spoke to me and I'm praying it'll speak to you. It's Isaiah 30, 15 to 18. Context, just a second. Um, the, this book is a book of prophecies, right? The prophet Isaiah you know, had been, bringing these words of the Lord and all the chapters up to this by and large are about nations around that had persecuted God's people. So the Lord has these words of rebuke, even judgment, catastrophe uh, for all different nations around from the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Ammonites and so on and so on. And then suddenly in verse chapter 30, it's like the Lord turns His attention to His own people. I think that's why this word really resonated with me because He had a loving rebuke for His own people that had lost their way, amen? It says this, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you're gonna see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of them of you. Five of them will make all of you flee and you'll be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill, a distant, a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. And so the Lord, listen, must wait for you to come to Him so He can show you His love and compassion for the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for His help. So I wanna offer you four reflections. If you like, it's almost like quadrants that we can kind of use to locate ourselves in our following of Jesus. I bet there are many, if not most of us in the room here today, who would call themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. You've made that life-changing decision to, 
to lay down your own way of living and embrace the way of Jesus. But the truth is, how many have discovered that it's not like you just raise your hand, pray a prayer, and the next day you work up like zing, like a Jesus follower. No, it's like a daily decision, isn't it? And then challenges come and you gotta embrace it again. And then sometimes success and comfort and different things will test our resolve to follow Jesus. So I was challenged by four things I wanna share with you out of this verse. And the first is returning and resting. Returning and resting. It said in verse 15, the Lord said, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Returning to me and resting in me. This isn't any old kind of a rest. He's not just talking about taking a vacation. No, this is like in him. He's the key. Return where? To me. Rest where? In me. That's your salvation. Now, Israel at this moment in their history, there's kind of two levels on which we can understand this. There's the natural thing happening, right? Their actual real-time history. And then there's the eternal spiritual principles that are just as applicable to us today. In the natural, wars and rumours of wars, that's where they are. It's nearing the time when the Babylonians would overrun, take away the rest of uh, the Judeans uh, off to exile. And it's it's a terrifying time. And... And so they're praying for literal salvation from literal enemies, armies that are you know, gonna come against them. And God's battle plan is unusual. It doesn't have anything to do with chariots or soldiers, it doesn't have anything to do with siege equipment and ramparts. No, the Lord's strategy is, hey, you wanna know how to win this thing? I got, a, I got a strategy, you ready? Return to me. Rest in me. You ever hear that for a battle strategy? You ever hear the coach share that at halftime when you're down? <laughs> you know what we should do? Rest. Aren't the Lord's ways the opposite so often of the ways of this world? Here's the eternal principle though. The same thing is true. Our actual little eternal salvation comes from returning. We often call that repenting, right? We turn from living our own way. We repent and we turn and we live in the way of Jesus under His Lordship. And we put our hope for salvation, we rest in the finished work of Christ, what He did on the cross, right? King David said it this way in Psalm 23, famous Psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another translation says, I lack nothing. He says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now I gotta just back up a little bit and share something that's important for context in this message. Cause you might feel a little bit of conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning. That's great. But please do not hear any judgment or shade from me. Cause you are hearing for better or worse, it's their fault. You're hearing from a preacher this morning who has not mastered this. This is not one of those great, let me preach out of my strength. This is more like a, hey, I'm kind of a bit of a messy work in progress on this one. This is really hard for me. And It's gonna be really awkward if I'm the only person in the room struggling with it. I'm praying somebody out there might've had a little bit of a trouble, right? In our day and age, resting and being faithful in returning to the Lord. See, I get verse two, He makes me lie down. It's like, oh yeah, I get that. I get, Jesus is like, Paul, this is not optional. Like, lie down, stop, right? Says He leads me beside the still waters. Some of us don't know anything about still waters. And I get that there's times in life when things can get crazy, but if your whole life, feels like white water rafting. May I invite you to consider, am I really following the shepherd? Because if I am, 
It's like I have all I need should be the overarching theme, even though there can be seasons, right? Make rest, seasons to lie down or to be something in the agenda. That's the way He shepherds us. Still waters. It says, He restores my soul. And if that seems a little abstract, another translation says, He renews my strength. If we wanna get our strength back, strength on the inside, it comes from this way. You know, we're born unconditionally, loved by God, created by Him. And yet we strive, even many of us, after giving our lives to Jesus, we, we're working and we're hustling and we tell ourselves this story we get from the world. If I just got here, if I just studied harder, got better grades, got married, got that promotion, got the house, then I'd be whatever, happy, peaceful, I would have made it. And they're all false summits, right? You get there and then it never does fill that void that only God can. I've struggled a lot with this. And I discovered, I wanna give you a little bit of New York style pastoral advice. It's not gonna sound very pastoral. Here's, here's my advice that comes from a conversation I had with my mom. I'll tell you about it in a minute. This is my advice. Stop lying to yourself. So I was having a conversation. My mom passed away just about five years ago. And she's like the sweetest, kindest person you ever met. I mean, I literally can't remember in my life her ever saying a mean thing about anybody, which is why it snuck up on me like a ninja when she cut me to the heart in a conversation, right? Because you don't expect it from my mom. So I'm in this conversation and of all things, it was kind of innocuous. We were living in Australia at the time. We we're trying to plan a dinner at her house. And we're back and forth. I don't remember all the things, but I remember what was going on. We're trying to find a date. And then I just remember what I said and what she said. I said, mom, it's just a busy season right now. And she with a big smile said, oh, Paul, you always say that. And it cut me to the heart <laughs> because it was true. That was the lie I told myself. Oh, it's just a busy season right now. I had to tell myself that because otherwise I'd have to admit, oh, I'm a workaholic. I'm a people pleaser. I'm insecure. I think I've got to earn the favour of God. I understand servanthood and I know nothing about sonship. Like all of that would have come kind of crashing down, but I could build a lie that kept me on the hamster wheel. Like, oh, it's just a busy season. Really? Where are you going, Paul? Like, I don't know. I'm going to get there fast, <laughs> right? So what's your lie? What's the lie you tell yourself? to keep living in the way of the world instead of in the way of Jesus. I don't know what your lie is. If, you, if this is a struggle for you, it could be about your value, where it comes from. Could be an identity thing. Could be how the favour of God works and having to earn it or something about who or what provides for your family. And again, no judgment from me. Church, I just spent 12 years pastoring in New York City that proudly says it never sleeps. Like I've been in the crucible of this stuff, you guys, for the last 12 years. Oh, I'm gonna go to New York and learn about rest. That's hilarious. Uh, and yet you look at Jesus. Has there anyone, been anyone in all of human history with more on His shoulders, literally saving the world? And He can sleep in a storm. He's up all night praying. There's crowds and He just goes to the mountain to preach to a few. I mean, He is... And here's me acting like I am the saviour of the world, right? <laughs> when actually my assignment is very small and well-defined and actually doable for me, right? So no wonder Matthew 11, I like the, the message version. It's kind of a paraphrase. It says in verse 28, are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Listen to this phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely 
and lightly. So it's firstly about returning and resting, but it's secondly about quietness and confidence. Number two, quietness and confidence. Verse 15 again, where we started, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. And then the next line says, in quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. Quietness and confidence. Anybody think that sounds like about the exact opposite of the way the world around us works? Isn't that often the way of the kingdom? It's just the opposite of the way of the world. I would say if quietness and confidence is God's way, loud and proud is the world's way, right? It's all about noise, opinions, social media. You know, I lived in a noisy city the last 12 years. And so now when I travel sometimes, I have to put on white noise because I'm used to the noise. It's almost like scary, something must be wrong. You know, parents, you get this, like your kids are playing in the other room and then it gets too quiet. Like I'm suspicious, there's something happening in there, right? That's how I feel sometimes, how I put on white noise. And I was thinking about it recently when I put my white noise on, I was like, no, this is, this is fine, but I wonder if that's happening on the inside of me. I wonder if I got white noise in my soul, yeah. where I've let so much stuff in, so many voices, so much of the way of this, well, I don't even know how to be quiet. Yeah. The Bible says quietness and confidence is your strength. How am I gonna hear the still small voice? If it's just noise, 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 quietness, confidence, I think sometimes as believers, we're nervous of confidence because it's like, well, isn't that, doesn't the Bible have a lot to say about bad things about pride? Well, yes, but they're different. Yeah, yeah the Bible says pride comes before a fall, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And yet it also says in verse, uh, Hebrews 10, 35, he says, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Okay, so how does that work? Well, it's all about what it's built on. In the, Paul Andrew Dictionary, which does not exist, just don't go looking for it. In my, in my dictionary, pride would be about my, my confidence is in me. My gifts, my talents, my resourcefulness, my connections, you know, and, and, and the Bible calls that pride. I'm on the throne of my own life, providing for myself. I'm in trouble, that comes before a fall. But to me, confidence, biblical confidence is different because that's built on God who He is, that He is faithful. Everything we declared this morning, amen? Holy, holy, holy. And He's true to His Word. Where my confidence is built on Him, it's different, which is why Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Note, it does not say, be still and know you got this. Because we don't got this. He got this, right? Be still and know I am. God, that's my confidence. That's my confidence. Am I... How am I doing with being quiet? How, what's the basis of my confidence? Is it me or is it Him? Yeah. It's a locator this morning. Yeah. Number three is who or what do I ultimately trust? Yeah. In some ways you could say this is the essence of the whole message. It's kind of a trust message, right? Because our ability to return and to rest, our ability to be quiet and have our confidence built in Him, a lot of this is really coming down to who or what do I trust? And is it, of course, the Lord? The part that really stood out to me, so this came right out of my own time with the Lord just recently. I've been studying my way through Isaiah. I just finished Jeremiah. Now I'm into Lamentations from yesterday. But I underline this phrase, which is heartbreaking. After giving them this beautiful way, what about if it was returning and resting, quietness and confidence, being your strength and your salvation? And then the Lord says, but you would have none of it. It really cut me to the core because I was like, I wonder how true that is of me. How many times I would just have none of it when it comes to His 
ways being higher. Amen? And it says, you said, no, we'll get our help from Egypt and they will give us swift horses for riding into battle. What's interesting, what's actually happened here is that the Israelites, afraid of the Babylonians, have like emptied out the treasuries and tried to pay for mercenaries to come. Oh, they got big chariots down there. They've got a mighty army. If we, if, we, if we could buy the help of the Egyptians, we could stand against our enemies. Well, trouble is, that's what they ran to instead of to the Lord and it was gonna backfire. And the Egyptians would double cross them, chase them down with those same chariots they paid for. So what's, here's my point. This is not a history lesson this morning, but we can all, if we're not careful, we all have an Egypt. So what's my Egypt? What's, in other words, if I could say it differently, what's the thing that I'm tempted to run to instead of God when I feel like I need salvation, when I need deliverance? What's the thing that I run to? I already kind of shared mine. One One of my Egypts is my capacity to work. I put my head down, I just run, I try and do more but I should be running to Him, amen? Trusting in the work that Jesus did on the cross. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we were doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm terrible at fasting, just terrible. It's like, I don't know if you ever read that book, The Five Love Languages, but I have an issue with that book. I'm gonna publish uh, unauthorized sixth love language, food. Does anybody else feel like that? Listen, all this other stuff is fine, but food is my love language, amen? So. I get a few days into this fast. It's like day three, I got headaches. I'm 24-7 hangry. Nobody, everyone, it's amazing. Whatever room I walk into, it empties out. It's miraculous, right? (laughs) Nobody wants to be around Paul. And so I'm at the office in Manhattan, just walking through the office. And and I say out loud, I was like, man, I'm getting nothing done. Because like, if you're into Enneagram, I'm in Enneagram 3. It's It's all about getting stuff done, right? As if there's some like magical anointing on clearing out your inbox or getting to the bottom of your to-do list. Anyway, that's my struggle and I'm, I'm sticking with it. So I'm walking through the office and I say, I'm getting nothing done and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let it slide. You ever had one of those? Or the Holy Spirit's like, ah, no, we're not letting that slide today. And the Holy Spirit says to me, oh, you're getting less done in the natural, but you're getting more done in the spiritual. Which do you think has the biggest impact? <laughs> yes, sir, back to uh, fasting with a better attitude, <laughs> Right? That's my Egypt, but what's yours? Is it money? Is it, I don't know, fame? Is it giftedness? Is it connections? We all can tend to something, to trust in something other than God. What are you tempted to run to? The Bible calls that an idol. It's funny, cause like we read Old Testament, we think I don't have any little statues in my house. It's like, all right, yeah, maybe, but that doesn't mean you don't have idols. Somebody once said to me, oh, an idol is anything you have to check with before saying yes to God. Well, we could probably all put a few things on that list if we're not careful, right? The Bible says, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Fourthly, finally, who is waiting on whom? Who is waiting on whom? I've only preached this message a couple of times, but the second time I preached it, the production guy's wife was an English teacher and I had who is waiting on who. He's like, I can't, I'll get in big trouble if I put that on the screen. (laughs) So you're getting corrected grammar here this morning too. You're welcome. Verse 18, after all of this, this invitation to returning and resting, quietness and confidence, right? Running to the Lord instead of to Egypt. He says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to Him 
so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. The worship team are gonna come join me, but it strikes me that there's really, this is binary. There are only one of two things happening. According to this verse, either we're waiting on the Lord or we're making Him wait on us. Because of their resistance to returning, to resting, to basically the Lordship, it says the Lord must wait for you to come to Him. So that what? He can slap you around? No, so that He can show you His love and compassion. He's a good Father. He loves them. He desperately wanted to pour out blessing and open doors for them and deliver them. But He had to wait because they wouldn't. Because they wouldn't wait on Him. The Lord had to wait. Blessed are those, He says, who wait for His help. Just think about the Father's heart. I as you know, humans, we get little earthly glimpses, right? In our brokenness and imperfection as an earthly father, imperfect father of four. I've had moments when I wanted to bless my kids, but I felt like the responsible thing was to wait. Anybody else had those moments? Like I had something I wanted to do for them, to give them some opportunity, some cool thing. But when I was looking at the fruit, you ever been in that place? I wanna do something, but it's, but there's, jealousy or won't share or lack of gratitude. And I feel like, oh, part of me just wants to give them something. But in the end, the the fruit of that is not gonna be good. And so out of love to help shape them in the image of Christ, I'm gonna wait. Here's the deal. How many times have I made God wait? He's like leaning, oh, Paul, I really wanna do this for you. Man, I really wanna, I'm just gonna need you to, Repent of some things. I need you to lay some, I need you to work on that attitude. I need you to guard your heart with all diligence. Out of it flow all the issues of life. How many times did the Lord want to bless me, but I made Him wait? Last verse before we pray is Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That that word wait, I like to read different translations because you know, the Scriptures weren't written originally in English. And sometimes when they're bringing those rich, ancient words in the English language, we lose something. And so I like to read them side by side. Another translation says, those who trust in the Lord, those whose hope is the Lord. Our hope, our trust, our ability to wait, all these things go together. And that's the invitation this morning. Where are you, church? We're gonna worship here in a minute. There's an opportunity for you to respond from wherever you find yourself today. Maybe it's in the returning and resting. Maybe that's your struggle because it's more like running and gunning right now. Maybe that's the thing you need to lay before the Lord. Teach me your ways. Maybe it's the quietness and confidence because you find yourself more like the way of the world, like loud and proud. Maybe it's in the area of idols, your Egypt, whatever that is that you tend to run to instead of to Him. And it's to repent this morning of those things, to lay them down, recommit our way to the Lordship of Christ. Or or maybe it's just simply this morning, you know what we need to do? We need to wait on God. Throw up our hands, amen? Praise Him again and again, right? Sing hallelujah to Him. Got a lion inside of those lungs, amen? I'm gonna do that in a minute. But I tell you, it's not just to sing a song this morning. So let that resonate in you. 
I believe the Lord is calling us to a new and different way, church. And so Father, I, in fact, can I have every head bowed, every eye closed? Lord, would you minister to each of us individually right where we are this morning? Pray for a beautiful, holy spirit of repentance in this place. Lord, forgive us for our idolatry. Forgive us for our independence. Forgive us for imagining for a moment we can do this without you in our own strength. Would you meet us here in a holy place? We pour out gratitude for all that you've done, Lord. We need you. We thank you. Today we seek you. In Jesus' name. This is the invitation, church. Why don't you open your eyes? Why don't we stand to our feet? I'd love to invite the prayer team to come, anybody that can from our prayer team. You know, this morning, really my message is not about whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. In many ways, you know, uh, you might love Jesus, call Destiny Church home and amen to that. But if you know this morning, like this message was on time for you. In whatever respect, this struck a chord for you, felt timely for you. I wanna invite you, there's something about action. There's something about movement. In fact, James says that we would be doers of the Word and not hearers only, so deceiving ourselves. In other words, it's not just believing the wrong thing that's deception. Sometimes it's knowing the right thing and doing nothing about it. That is deception. I think we had an opportunity this morning. Whatever that is for you, maybe you wanna kneel, maybe you wanna raise your hands, maybe you wanna come, have somebody here on the line pray for you. But as we worship, let's take a moment to respond. Here's my question. What's God saying to you? And what are you gonna do about it? In Jesus' name.